Welcome to the Sprint to Profit podcast with Kirsty and Isaac. If you are an Amazon seller looking to grow your business with some of the latest tactics and strategies, along with some great guidance for your overall business, then you are in the right place. So pay attention and if needed, take notes. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sprint to Profit podcast. It's Kirsty and Isaac from Real Coaching here again. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with Ben Leonard from ecombrokers.co.uk about why looking to exit your Amazon business is a great thing, but how if you don't understand the right time to exit or don't scrutinize the fees, commissions, and agreements involved, you could regret your decision for not having dug deeper. That's right now. So Ben is actually today, he's going to be taking us through how to make sure that you get the right compensation, right? So how do you know about your own valuation? Also, how to know when is the best time for you to actually exit your business and make sure that you do your due diligence. I can never say that, right? I have to really stop and say it. Due diligence in the process. There you go. But before we jump into all that cool stuff, Ben, let's hear a little bit about you. How did you even start getting into the Amazon business? And then how did you end up founding Ecom Brokers? Sure. Well, uh, first, thanks for having me. I accidentally got into e-commerce in 2016. Early 2016, I was, unfortunately, I was sick for the third time with a heart problem. I'm fine now. But I got signed off of work for some time. And I had to stop all my fitness hobbies. So no more boxing, CrossFit, running around like a maniac. And I was sadly tidying out my gym kit and looking at my gear and thinking, oh, I could do a better job of that. And I needed a hobby and something to do, keep me occupied. And my uh, girlfriend, now wife, was studying. And so I decided to develop a brand of fitness equipment. So the idea for a brand came before the idea of selling on Amazon. Amazon was always just a sales channel. It was just a, a means to an end. It was just a part of the mix. And so I created this brand called Beast Gear, and it snowballed from there. It was supposed to be a hobby, uh, but it turned out I was pretty good at it. So after about 18 months, I quit my job. And then uh, a year and a bit later, I ended up selling the business. And there's a whole bunch of detail in there about how all that happened, but that is that is how I stumbled into e-com. Awesome. Yeah. So it's how a lot of people kind of people stumble into it, like you say, for, for various different reasons, right? Either it's more, it might be more purposeful in terms of I want to do something different, which was kind of more, more my story. And then I stumbled upon this kind of side of it. And then, like you said, m- coming more from a hobby, or maybe some people have started a website somewhere that have an idea for a product, they kind of stumble into the Amazon space. So I think that's great. I think a lot of people will be able to kind of resonate with, with you there. I think that's that's the thing about success, right? You don't necessarily have a plan. You just kind of like jump in both feet and and, and go for yeah. it. Yeah, I think that's the way that I like to do it is just, uh, just start, right? And worry about the detail later and worry about uh, all the exact how of how you're going to make it happen later. Just get going, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was going to say, and at that point, you started actually working with, with during the sale, you started actually digging into what the uh, the finances of the sale and stuff look like. And then you actually talk to your accountant and then you kind of guys work yep. together to create e-com brokers, right? Th- that's what happened. Yeah. So, so I started B-Secure, uh early 20, had the idea early 2016, sold my first product to a stranger on the internet in, in uh, June, July, 2016, <laughs> made the decision to explore a sale in early 2019. And then the deal was done. Halloween, 2019, I, I, I the exit was done. And I sold it through a broker. And the experience with that broker could have been quite a lot better. There were things that they didn't do, which they could have done, and things that they did do, which could have been significantly better. And 
my accountant, Allison, actually has about, well, more than 20 years mergers and acquisitions experience. She kind of saved the day and tidied, tidied things up. And at the end of the whole process, after we took a step back, we said to each other, well, there's an obvious opportunity to create a better experience here and create a better brokerage. And by combining our skill sets, me on the e-commerce side, understanding what it's like to live and breathe e-commerce and own an e-commerce business and all the trials and tribulations that come with that, whether it's everything from product development to, you know, chatbots, email marketing, or whatever it might be. And Allison on the M&A side and the accounting side means that we were able to offer a better service and, and learn from uh, the, the experience that I'd been through. And so, yeah, we founded Ecom Brokers around about a year ago now. Yeah. Awesome. And so when we talk about how Ecom, bro- e-com Brokers actually works, uh, you know, are you specifically targeting Amazon sellers or just any e-commerce businesses? But, you know, obviously our, our main audience is Amazon FBA sellers. So what are the core yeah. ways that you kind of work with Amazon sellers and, and what is the kind of business experience like for you? Um, Cause it's not just like a referral system or even you're not, you're not just a referral system to brokerage or whatever, or even the end buyer. Right. Yep. So we, so we work with e-commerce business owners and that, so that predominantly means physical products, brands, and yes, the majority of them are Amazon sellers. And that's not really out of design. That's just because the majority of them just are Amazon sellers, at least, they have a portion of their sales coming through Amazon because Amazon is so big. If you're selling physical products on, uh, on online, you, you kind of can't avoid it, cannot be on Amazon. So yeah. that's why most of them are in some form on Amazon, whether they're selling, you know, 90% of their sales are on Amazon or just a small proportion. And yeah, so we work with e-commerce business owners to prepare their business for sale and market their business to a pool of the right buyers and then ultimately get them the best possible deal and deal structure. Mm-hmm. And so it looks like a whole range of different things for different people. So some people might come to us and they say, hey, uh, I heard there's tons of money poured into e-commerce. Uh, is my, I, I want to sell my business for millions. And we'll take a look and we'll say, bad news, buddy. It's not worth millions. <laughs> some people will come to us and say, hey, what's my business worth? And we'll say, well, we'll, we'll do some initial analysis and we'll say, this is worth in the region of you know half a million. And they'll say, oh, didn't really want to sell it for less than a million. And we'll say, well, here's the things that you need to do that can get you there. Here's the dominoes you need to stack up and then knock down that can get you there. And here's the time frame over which that can happen. And for some of them, it's a case of off you go and do it. See you later. And for some of them, it's a case of, well, actually, we'll, so we'll mentor you on a route to exit, helping you knock down these dominoes, keeping a constant live track of what the business is worth. And when we get to a point that you want to sell it, we'll pull the trigger and take it to market. And other people will come to us and say, I believe my business is worth, you know, 3 million. We'll take a look. We'll say, you know, good news. It is, or, or it's worth, you know, in that ballpark or more. And they say, wonderful, let's sell it. And we will prepare the business for sale, get it neat and tidy with a ribbon on top, and then find a pool of the right buyers and market the business to them. And those buyers might be, you know, pretty much everyone listening to this is going to be aware of the aggregators who are now in this space after Thrasio Thrasio formed in September, 2018. And now there's around a hundred aggregators following a similar-ish model. But a lazy thing to do would be to purely market a business just to them. And it's important to cast a wide net because not every business is appropriate for aggregators. A lot of them are, 
but it's important to consider other options. So you might sell the business to a competitor. You might sell the business to a bricks and mortar organization in the same um, category who wish to get a stronger foothold online, such as on Amazon. You might sell the business to a competitor from another part of the world who wants to get into the part of the world that this business is in. You might sell it to a private individual. You might sell it to a family office, or you might sell it to big boy traditional private equity. So a whole range of options. But yeah, we're we're a proper broker. We work on on behalf of the the seller. So we're not we're not just a referral service. And what we absolutely don't do is we don't take any referral fees from aggregators because that would compromise our integrity. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we only get paid by the seller when we sell their business. Mm-hmm. So that's important. So not like a mortgage broker. Yeah, it's kind of kind of getting into the bit of that space now, isn't it? It's like, okay, I'll go to a financial advisor, but then they'll give me a mortgage or a mortgage advisor, but they'll give me a mortgage based on the commission, right? That they might get from that mortgage lender or whatever. So that's yep. that's kind of really good to know. It's funny when you were talking there, I felt like I was at the Antiques Roadshow for some reason. <laughs> it was almost like... <laughs> If it is it worth this much? No, I'm sorry. Oh, great. Yeah. It's just sentimental value. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's the thing, right? A lot of people, because a lot of people listening will be like, yeah, but I never want to sell my business. I love my business. And that's absolutely fine. But you need to take a more long-term view and take a step back and say, well, what's your situation going to be in three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years? Not just your personal situation, but what's going on in the industry? How has the technology changed? What's happening in terms of regulation in your particular space? How many competitors are moving in, et cetera, et cetera. Are you really going to want to still be doing this in that amount of time? And maybe you will. That's wonderful. But um, I suspect not everyone will. And there needs to be some kind of an end game. And very often that end game needs to be an exit. And so what's really worthwhile doing is talking to experts now to find out well what is my business worth now so i know where i am i have a reference point right i have a map and a compass and then you can ask yourself some important questions about what you would like it to look like when you sell your business in terms of essentially your magic number and at least then you can reverse engineer what that might look like and you have a a plan as to where you're going where you are now so you might say, okay, well, I hadn't considered an exit, but I now know that my business is is worth in the region of, I don't know, you know, three quarters of a million dollars. I'd be comfortable selling it for, you know, one and a half. And here are the things that I can do to get there in the next, you know, however many months, which will be different for every business, because of course, every business in every uh, category is different. Yeah. I think also it's, um, you know, if, if people want to put another lens on it, it's not just about getting... A value, if, you know, if people are people are like you, but I, no, I don't want to sell it like you said. It's really about how do you maximize the value today, so that you can get the value in the future, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're doing things in the right way, it for a great valuation, it means you're going to get more out of your business over the years while you're actually running the business. So, oh yeah, you, know, you don't want to be just spending money for the sake of spending money for growth's sake when you're not actually enjoying running the business. And if you grow it in that way, then you're just going to make it more valuable with those core steps in mind if you were to sell it in the future so yeah you're you're absolutely right if you set up a business to make it sellable then the happy side effect is that even if you're not actually planning to sell in the immediate term it it actually becomes a heck of a lot easier to run because it's more efficient and the the side effect of that then is that it hits scales a lot easier so you, you you will then realize that growth and there's a couple of great books on that subject hopefully many 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 of your listeners ought to have already read the E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber. 
mm -hmm. um, which is just, you know, an absolute must read, of course. But then there's another one that they might not be aware of called Built to Sell by a guy yeah. called John Warlow, which is an excellent book. So reading those will really get you in, in the right position because what you can't do is you can't wake up one day and say, I want, I want to sell my business because there's a heck of a lot of work to do. But if you prepare now so that your business is sellable, then the day you do wake up and say, I want to sell my business, you're in a much stronger position. It's going to be a heck of a lot less painful because your business is neat and tidy with a ribbon on top and almost ready to be taken to market. All that needs to be done then is a bit of financial analysis and financial adjustments. And of course, the work to find the, the right buyers, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully you're you're beating off the buyers instead of um or beating them away instead yeah. of actually you know trying to beg someone to to buy your business right. So we've we have actually spoken to quite a lot of people about setting up the business for sale and previous podcasts and stuff like that before. Mm. But you've obviously had a unique experience where you you're in the position that most people are in. You sold it, and now mm. you're looking to help other people. So you've been through that experience yourself. Mm. And I think you had some issues when you, like you were just talking about, right? I want to sell my business, but you, did you need to fix some things first throughout that process before you sold it? Um, was there anything there that you can kind of share that can help? Yeah. People? So having been through the process, I'm now still building my own brands, which is important because it means I still have the current experience of what's going on because it's such a fast moving industry. And so in an ideal world now, I'm building brands from the start, knowing that I'm going to sell them. But of course, when I started Beast Gear, by the way, it's public domain. I can talk about the I started. Um, and I sold it to Thrasio if anyone's interested. Again, they use me in their PR. I can talk about it. When I started Beast Gear, it was a hobby, right? And I didn't have I didn't have a background in business at that point. I hadn't even discovered that I had this entrepreneurial spark. And so I didn't set it up to sell. But after I became aware that I was sitting on a valuable asset and that uh, selling e-commerce businesses was were starting to become more mainstream. Then I, I started to get, you know, I got my butt in gear and started to think about what to do. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you know, I was I was uh, following the advice of John Warlow and Michael Gerber and getting everything neat and tidy from mainly mostly three perspectives: uh, commercial, financial, and legal. And so this is kind of bringing us into conversations now, I guess, about due diligence. When you're preparing to sell your business, it's really important that you think ahead to after you get an LOI, so a letter of intent from a potential buyer. So if anyone's not aware, a letter of intent is basically a non-binding agreement where you, you give the potential buyer 30 to 45 days exclusivity to do their due diligence, to really dig into your business, to check that, that everything's as it ought to be. And you agree not to sell the business to anyone else in that time to allow them to do that due diligence. And it's a really intense time it's nothing to be worried about, but it's incredibly intense because as, as you can imagine, if somebody's going to part with a lot of money in return for your business, they want to turn over every stone and look into every nook and cranny. And so if you're working with a good broker, before you even get to that stage ahead of time, they should have you getting organized for due diligence. And that's one of the things I, I mean when I'm talking about getting everything neat and tidy with a ribbon on top. And that means getting everything organized from a legal, commercial and financial point of view. So it's things like having all of your documentation for your intellectual property in order, having all of your accounts in order, having all of your tax returns in order, having 12 months records of your purchase orders, having records of any disputes legally you've ever had in any contracts you have, having oversight of your suppliers and having copies of all of their audits, which show that they comply with particular standards and they're not using child labor and all this kind of stuff. Pretty much 
every important aspect under those three topics, you need to kind of have a handle on. And so the big lesson I learned from going through this the first time was that you got to have a handle on this early because it makes your life a heck of a lot easier. But what's also really important is that when you then enter due diligence with a potential buyer, it makes their life a heck of a lot easier. Mm. And so they're far more impressed. So if they find anything during due diligence that they're not too happy with, because they're already really impressed with how slick everything is, you know, you got all your SOPs, everything's in order, you've provided them with this data dump of all this information really neat and tidy and organized. It's going to be much sweeter pill for them to swallow if they do find something that they don't like mm -hmm. and also when if you imagine that and particularly if we're talking about an aggregator here let's say you know bob in acquisitions at aggregator abc is looking at your business and he now needs to present it to his investment board his investment board is going to be a lot more impressed when they see your business looking really well organized everything as it ought to be than another business that Bob has found, which isn't quite so good. So either they're going to offer less for that business or they're not going to offer to buy it at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You say that I have um, one of my mentors. He's um, he, he's basically bought and sold. Well, bought, I said he built and sold about 18 businesses. So he's, you know, he's, he's a billionaire from that basically. And he was talking about, he was going to invest in a business and he really liked the business. He loved the, the people that were running the business and he was about to literally make the investment and he was doing due diligence and he had a look at in, in terms of their files. And he said they were so sloppy that he was like, okay, deals off. Right. Because if you're working this way and you're prepared to show me your books like this, then I don't think the business itself is going to be in any shape yeah. for me to get the return that I want it, that I need to get. So it's interesting you say yeah. that. I mean, that's just from an investment perspective, but also if you're buying a business, it makes complete sense. Yeah, because we all love our own businesses and we all love our own brands. You know, people often talk about, oh, it's my baby. And so we tend to look at our own businesses with kind of, you know, rose tinted spectacles. And we tend to gloss over the stuff that, that actually isn't very good. But if you take off the rose tinted spectacles and take a step back and take a deep breath and ask yourself, how would this appear to somebody who is potentially going to part with six, seven or eight figures to buy my business? Mm -hmm. Would they be impressed or would they be comfortable with this? And if the answer is no, then you need to go and get that stuff in order. It's a bit like if you're viewing a house and you see that there's damp, you're going to be asking questions. Absolutely. That, you know, yeah. is that, is, that's the mindset, I think. Yeah, that's a great, yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I, I was listening when you were talking about, uh, you know, building to sell from the start and not building to sell from the start, the difference mm. between um, Beast Gear and what you did for your other brands. Um, I was reading a quote from Mark Cuban the other day, and just because he's rich doesn't mean he's always right. But he said something to the effect of, you don't build a business with the intention to sell. Otherwise, you're not going to be building it for the right reasons or something like that. Basically trying to say that you're not following your passion in the business. And I can agree with parts of that. But then the other flip side of the coin is, if you don't think about an exit at any point during your building of your business, you're going to screw yourself out of a good exit, right? Yeah. So I respectfully disagree with him because, yeah. <laughs> uh, so for instance, the next brand, the current brand that I'm, I'm, I'm building right now is a brand of parent and baby products, which I'm very passionate about. I identified a gap in the market from products that I used with our, our daughter, who is now two and a half, which I, I didn't think were good enough. So I'm developing better ones. 
and I'm really passionate about it, but I want to sell it. You know, I don't want to do it forever. So you can, you can do both, right? You can absolutely do both. And Oh, by the way, Mark Cuban has sold multiple businesses. So it's not like he's out there, like just, uh, you know, saving one company for the rest of his life or anything. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So when you are speaking with Amazon sellers, you know, is there kind of like a preferred situation from Amazon seller to be in for them to come to you about their existing business or for, for exiting their business? We speak to a whole range of people, you know, um, we have, you know, we're, we, we've sold businesses for low six figures to, to, you know, middle, mid eight figures, you know, and these entrepreneurs are in all different situations and they have all different reasons for wanting to sell their business. And they're all entirely valid. What I would say is you really need for us to be able to help you sell your business. It needs to be a legitimate brand and not a collection of stuff. The days in my opinion, the days of the Amazon gold rush of selling stuff on Amazon are over, or at least they're over if you are doing it with an aim to build an asset that you can sell. They're not necessarily over if you're just trying to have a job, but that's fine. But if you're doing that, you haven't built a business, you've built a job, in my opinion. Yeah. So I for think us that really that's to worth help. reiterating there is like, you can't just sell random products, right? You have to build a brand in order to be able to sell it because nobody in wants to opinion, buy yeah. your collection yeah. of products, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you need to have a coherent uh, brand, a, a collection of products, a suite of products, which solve, you know, a, a related problems for a particular group of people, whether mm-hmm. that's knitters or motorcycle enthusiasts. Uh, your business basically needs to be profitable. Unprofitable businesses are bought and sold. Of course they are. But in, in the e-commerce space at the minute, we really need to have a profitable business. You need to have some defensibility about the business. So uh, some intellectual property protection around the brand. So that's trademarks. And I really recommend that everyone has trademarks, not just in the territories you're selling in, but in the territories you're manufacturing in as well. And it would really help if you've got patents or design registrations around um, your products as well. But th- that's not required you need to have be growing um you know there needs to be some growth history there and but not maxed out right there needs to be some meat on the bone that's going to attract a potential buyer right they need to see you know they want to take your growth accelerate it and then sell your business on for more most usually if we're talking about a financial buyer more than a, a strategic one it would be great if we had a bit of diversification so you were not relying just on one or two SKUs because if one or if you have just one or two SKUs and, and one of those or even both of those goes down, then you're in a pickle. So a bit of diversification in terms of SKUs, you know, a sweet spot would be, you know, between sort of, you know, four and 20 would be great. And that's not to say that if you've got, you know, 100 SKUs that we can't sell your business, that's not, not the case at all. But I'm just saying generally that's a good sweet spot. A diverse diversity in terms of sales channels so that might mean you're selling on your own website amazon walmart etsy or it might just mean you're selling on amazon but you're hopefully selling on different amazon marketplaces so us mexico canada perhaps you're in europe the middle east australia you don't need to be on all of these of course and in fact what, what can be beneficial is if suppose you're in the us but you haven't yet exploited europe that's the carrot on the stick that can potentially attract a buyer. So that type of thing is worth thinking about. Mm-hmm. And a diverse diversity in terms of traffic, because particularly if you're, suppose you're reliant more on sales on your own website, but you have say one or two sources of traffic, like an email list and Facebook ads. Well, 
your Facebook ads account gets suspended or the rules around advertising your particular products on Facebook change because of new regulations, then you're in a pickle and your business is much more risky and therefore less attractive to a potential buyer. Those, those things are all really important in making your business sellable and therefore us being able to, to help you to sell it. Yeah. Awesome. yeah and I know a lot of aggregators always talk about like, they don't want to work with any companies that are under like a million dollars in sales. Is there any set of stipulations like that with how they can work with you guys? No, not at all. Because the aggregators that are saying that are the bigger guys who are the ones with the deepest pockets and the loudest voices who are, who are getting that, that noise across in the space right now, the ones that we've all heard of. But a good broker will, A, have relationships with far more than the, you know, the five to 10 aggregators that we're hearing from all the time in the space. And also we'll have the ability to cast a wider net to find other potential buyers in your industry, more traditional buyers. They should be working. They should have partnerships with other brokers and other investment banks around the world to, to find the right buyer. And so, no, you don't need to be doing uh, more than a million dollars in revenue. Um, we're working with sellers who are doing, we, we typically want you to be doing 150, 200,000 or more, but we will look at smaller businesses if they're special. So for example, uh, we have been working with a smaller business recently, which is special because, because it has some unique intellectual property protection around uh, their main product. And another one, which is special because they featured on the UK version of Shark Tank. And so, you know, we make exceptions. So it's always worth coming to us for a conversation because we're in the business of helping people. So if we're not the right people to sell your business, we'll still help you, whether that's giving you advice on the things that you can do to get where you want to be, or whether that's pointing you in the direction of someone else who might be able to help your business. Mm-hmm. Here to have awesome. a conversation. Actually, yeah, that's what I was just going to ask you is, you know, what would the process, what would a typical process look like coming to you? I suppose that there could be a couple of tracks, right? One is, if you're not quite ready, what would happen there? And then if you're mm. ready, what's that? What's the next track? Sure. So if you're, if you're not quite ready, you might not know that you're not quite ready yet. You might just want to, you haven't got a clue. You haven't really thought about it before. You've just heard me on this podcast. You're like, hmm, I wonder what Ben thinks of this. So we we have a conversation. We talk about um, your business in terms of the numbers that you're doing. And then all the factors that I just spoke about, intellectual property. How many products have you got? Where are you selling? What marketplaces are you selling on? All that kind of good stuff. Your suppliers, all that. And what's happening in your particular industry right now? in terms of, you know, the vertical that you're in and what might be your magic number and what had been your, your short, medium and long-term plans. And so for some of those people, it will be, the answer will be, well, you're not quite ready to sell, but here are some initial things that I think you can go to do to, to get, to get you where you want to be. And some of it will be low hanging fruit and some of it will be more complex. And for some people it will be, this is achievable in nine months. And for some people it will be, this is achievable in 18 months. Mm-hmm. depending on that seller what we might do with them is actually mentor them on a route to an exit which means we'll actually get on calls with them monthly and offer them email support as well whilst keeping a track of what the business is worth before we pull the trigger and take them to market so that's typically for people who are a bit closer to where they want to be if they're literally just starting out and you know they've got a very very small business, and it's not really worth their time or our time to do that because they're some way off where they want to be. For somebody who actually is, you know, pretty well ready to go to to sell, it looks a bit more like this. Um, we will ask 
ask them, well, we will sign an NDA, which gives them peace of mind that when we then ask for data, uh, we can't share it with anyone. And then we'll request read-only access to things like Amazon, Walmart, Shopify, WooCommerce, PayPal, wherever they're collecting sales, and also to QuickBooks or Xero or whatever accounting software they're using. And then straight off the bat, what we'll do is we'll do put together an indicative valuation, which in which we'll basically say to them, we believe that your business is worth in the region of A and B. And we'll have a deeper conversation with them then about what we want to do next. Because what we can then do is if they want to come on board with us, we can dig in and do a deeper analysis to identify the opportunities to maximize the value of the business. And so what I mean by that, you, typically, so people, some people listening will be wondering, well, yeah, Ben, you're talking about the valuation of the business. How do we value a business? So I, I ought to touch on that briefly so that people kind of have a clue yeah. what we're banging on, banging on about here. <laughs> so I'm going to use a really simple example because every business is different. So I want, you know, there's a broad suite, suite, suite of people listening. So I want to keep this relatively general. So generally speaking, the business is valued based on the, the trailing 12 months performance and based on something called seller's discretionary earnings. So seller's discretionary earnings is pretty much your net income plus two things, add backs and adjustments. And then we multiply that seller's discretionary income, earnings, sorry, by a multiple. And that gives us the value of the business. So now people are even more confused because I've just mentioned add backs and adjustments and a multiple. What are those three things? So add backs come in two forms, some pretty straightforward and some less straightforward. So the pretty straightforward ones are basically discretionary costs for the seller, which, we, which would not apply to the new owners. So things like the seller's salary, health insurance, maybe they're putting their phone and internet through the business, travel expenses, that type of thing. That's all pretty straightforward. And even the more generic flipper style brokers are adding those back for sellers. Then you've got slightly more complex ones, which are like one-off costs that aren't going to be repeated, which a new owner wouldn't be expected to bear. So suppose you've paid for some trademarks to be done. Well, they're done. They're not going to be done again. We could take that off the lost part of your PL sheet and remove it. Or you might have just had some photography or video done for some particular products. Take them off the lost side of your PL sheet. So already you're starting to add to your seller's discretionary earnings, right? Which is boosting the value of the business. So that's addbacks. Then you have adjustments. Adjustments are a little bit more complex and a, a good broker with um, accounting experience ought to be doing this for you. And adjustments recognize change in the P&L over the period of time on which you're valuing the business, which is usually 12 months. So this can be like changes to COGS. So for example, Suppose you negotiated a lower price on a product with your supplier three months ago. So now you're getting it for less. So your profit has been boosted. Well, it's not really fair if the new owner of the business is going to get extra profit on that product, but it's only going to have contributed three months worth of extra profit to a boost in your SDE and therefore your business value. Mm -hmm. So it's entirely reasonable for us to adjust as if you had been buying it from your supplier at that lower price for the whole last 12 months. So that's going to boost your SDE. Or what if two months ago, you increased the price of a product, and when you did that, you didn't see a drop in sales 
in fact, sales might have stayed the same or even gone up, maybe because customers view your product as being more premium now. Well, the new owner is going to get the benefit of selling this product now at 20 bucks instead of 18. So we can adjust as if you'd always been selling it at 20 bucks. If you do that to multiple products and then you apply a multiple, you can see how that could, through, through the effects of compounding, actually add six, seven figures to the value of a business. That's just scratching the surface. There's more like, for instance, suppose you've just reached that critical point at which it makes economic sense to bring your stock in by sea instead of by air. Well, the new owner is going to be bringing it in by sea. We can adjust the cogs as if you'd always been bringing it in by sea. This can make a huge difference. So that's where a good broker will really start to earn their money by doing that deeper analysis. Mm -hmm. So then we've, we've come across your SDE. We apply the multiple. We have the price of your business. So that's what I mean by the more in-depth valuation. Yeah. So to do that, we, we ask you to sign up and give us four months to sell your business. And that's yeah. basically what the process looks like. So at that point, we put together the, the, the deeper analysis to put together the full valuation. And we build out a prospectus, which is basically an all singing, all dancing brochure where we talk about how wonderful your business is. And we uh, take your business to market, having the whole time been doing the work to identify the right potential buyers for your business. We bring as many of those to the table as we can so that we have a competitive environment in which, in an ideal world, multiple potential buyers are submitting letters of intent for your business. And at this point, we um, connect the seller with one of our partner mergers and acquisitions attorneys who will do a little bit of initial negotiation on the letter of intent. But remember, a letter of intent is non-binding. So the negotiation at this stage is really just to set expectations. The process of due diligence, 30, 45 days has gone through. And then the real negotiation begins when the buyer sends uh, an SPA, a share purchase agreement, or an APA, an asset purchase agreement, depending on the deal. And usually the attorney will send it straight back covered in red Microsoft Word track changes in order to take that deal that was offered, which is skewed far, far, far in the direction of the buyer and bring it much closer to a favorable deal for the seller. Yeah. And so that's one of the problems with selling direct to a buyer, uh, apart from not getting your uh, SDE properly calculated and not having a competitive environment of multiple buyers is the buyer is going to take you to the cleaners and present you a deal which looks good to you, but you're not an expert and you've never sold a business before, but it's actually skewed way better in their direction than in yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was actually just going to ask about that because you just mentioned some really good pointers about adjustments and addbacks that most people who have never sold a business are never going to know about most of that stuff like pricing and, and cost of goods and freight um, going up or down. Yep. But the, uh, but the mistake of, of, of thinking, Hey, you know, this sounds really great. They're going to turn my, 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 initial conversation and in 45 days we're going to have a sale do you think that's yeah. one of the bigger mistakes of, of a lot of amazon sellers right now is just thinking that they need to sell faster instead of getting it right oh, absolutely like you've spent a long time putting together a fantastic business what's the rush you know i see other i see other brokers embarrassingly saying we'll sell your business in you know however many days and why more haste less speed let's do this right right let's not rush this People are, 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 are going mad because, you know, the money's flooding into this space. And so they, they're under this perception there's a bubble and we have to get out now before the bubble bursts and people are like losing their minds. No, like you've built a great business, regardless of bubble or no bubble. If you have a great business, there will be a buyer for it. And 
when you take it through a thorough process, like we do in every other industry, to have the business properly prepared for exit in terms of all the documentation, all that good stuff I mentioned before, having it properly valued and having the value of it maximized by going through this process that I just mentioned, the adjustments and addbacks, and then marketing it to the pool of the right buyers, you can get the right exit that you want and there's no need to rush. But what aggregators are doing right now is they're basically, they have software to scrape Amazon and they're cold emailing every Amazon seller on the planet saying, hey, we love your business. We want to buy it from you. And so, you know, you're absolutely delighted. This is incredibly exciting. I just spent the whole night crying down the phone to sell a support. And now somebody wants to buy my business for a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It sounds wonderful. And what's going to happen is they're going to ask you to send them your P&L. And then they'll get back to you telling you what your business is worth. That doesn't sound right. That's not how, how you would, how you would uh, sell your house. Yeah. So, it's like playing a, in a sports team and then giving them the playbook while you sit there and watch them learn all your plays and then you're about to run. That's a superb analogy. I'm going to steal <laughs> that. Yeah, that is exactly right. That is exactly what it is. And then they'll, they'll tell you what your business is worth which is far less than it's really worth. So they'll, they'll dangle this carrot in front of you, which this carrot is a big carrot. It's possibly more money than you ever could have imagined having. But actually, your business is worth a whole sack of carrots. If only you would take it through the right process. And a lot of people, really smart people, who've built great businesses are getting, essentially having their business taken off their hands for far less than it's really worth and a really poor deal. And it's really silly because these smart people they use experts for their PPC. They use experts for consulting. They use experts for translations. They use experts for copy. They use experts for product designs. They use experts for graphics. They use experts for every single aspect of their business. And then when it comes to the most valuable asset they have, the business itself, they say, nah, I'm going to do it myself. Well, they, I think they do Which that. Mind they <laughs> Sorry? They do that even when they build it as well. Yeah. yeah. So I, I understand exactly what you're saying. It's, it's interesting because yeah. we're on the, obviously the business building side. Sure. And it's very much the same. It's like, well, they'd rather spend that amount of money on a PPC campaign. That's not returning anything. In fact, it's losing money, but they won't invest in themselves and to grow the business to an even, you know, infinitely more ROI. And yeah what you're talking about is kind of like the ultimate of that, right? It's like all of a sudden we're all business selling experts when we've never ever done it before in our lives, right? Yeah, totally. And and a good a good broker or investment bank or MA expert should be, it should be such that whatever fee they're getting, which really ought to be on a commission basis, should be paying for be paying for itself multiple times over by the value they add to the deal, which might be in terms of the actual value of the business, might be in terms of the deal structure, and might be in terms of finding the right buyer, and really should be a combination of all three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I think it's really good for people to understand that and and put that as part of their arsenal because you're right. There's a lot of noise in the marketplace. There's a lot of money floating around. It's kind of like like you said, the the lazy way, and that's not taking anything away from anyone that's done it. It's just right in your face at the moment, isn't it? It's almost yeah. like why are you not selling it, <laughs> right? Yeah, why are you yeah, waiting yeah. five years? You should be selling it in 12 months. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, so. Completely. You know, it, unless, for some people, the time to sell is now, and that's fine. But the important thing is to sell at the right time for you. 
and your business. And regardless of what's going on in the space right now, if you have built a legitimately attractive brand that isn't just me too stuff, then there's no reason to be panicking or rushing to get out. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think from what you're saying, it's really about um, empowerment right yep. and and um we resonate a lot with that because that's our coaching style it's all about empowering the business owner to make the right decisions at the right time based on what they want to achieve and i think um for you, that's what it sounds like what you guys are trying to do is make sure that they're making the right decisions for themselves and the business and selling it to the right people it's like with some people and like you say when they're selling a house you don't just want it to sell to just anyone, right? You could have two buyers want the same offer, but you might actually go with the with a buyer who's going to look after the the place a little bit better, or you feel like they are, right? Yeah. And so you spent all this time building the business. You still want to feel like you've got a say in who's actually yeah. going to buy it and are they going to love it and nurture it. Yeah, we we have worked with sellers who have had multiple offers on the table, and they have actually chosen an offer entirely of their free will, which overall was probably financially not significantly but still financially slightly uh less good for them because they were happier about who was taking their brand forward and i admire that and just to come back to the house analogy uh the house that we're in now uh the offer we gave was the most we could afford and i'm pretty certain that the couple that sold it to us could have sold it for like an extra 50 grand but they sold it to us because they liked us because we were, they, you know, they got the house when it was built back in the seventies and they liked us and they wanted to, us to come and take it on and be the new custodians of it. And if you have a legitimate brand, chances are you're going to want the right buyer to be the custodians of it. And it's worth remembering, especially if you're selling it to an aggregator, and there's nothing wrong with selling to an aggregator, provided you've been through the right process first. If you are selling to an aggregator, 80% of them are going to die in the next nine to 18 months either because they're just going to cease to exist because they're not very good or they're going to get swallowed up by bigger boys. And the part of the reason for that is many of them really lack operational capability. And therefore, if there's any kind of an earnout, you need to know that they have some operational capability or at the very least, your legal representative and your attorney, uh, sorry, and your broker need to have worked with you to structure the deal such that you are protected so if their operational capability is you know poor and they make mistakes you can still get some kind of an earner for instance there needs to be a ladder structure in the earner so if you were going to get 200 grand because they hit target a and they missed target a you're still going to get 150 grand and so on and so forth or if they're out of stock on your hero skew for more than seven days in a 30-day period you can adjust for that so it won't affect your revenue that contributes towards your earner. Because at the end of the day, Bob in supply chain at the aggregator at half past four on a Friday afternoon doesn't give a crap about your earnout, but you do. <laughs> you know, or you know, we like to try and here's one that we get into deals. Uh, sellers retain read-only access to every uh, channel on which the brand is sold so they can log in and actually flag issues before they even become an issue. Because nobody knows the, the brand better than the original founders. And they can say, guys, have you thought about this? Because if you don't fix this, then we're going to have a problem two months down the line. And then you, you avoid issues altogether, right? So these are the types of things. And that's just a couple of examples where having the right legal representative alongside your broker will make sure that the deal 
is structured such that it's fair and reasonable and protects you. Yeah, that's awesome. So what we'll do is we're going to add some um, links in the contact um, information below. Um, but do you have any final words or anything that you want to tell people before we go that we haven't discussed? You know, like, I really want to tell them this before I before I leave. Yeah, plan ahead. Um, have a good think. Like there'll be people listening. They're like, oh, I love my business. I never want to sell it. And I'm like, that's fine. But go put the kettle on, have a cup of tea or coffee and ask yourself, well, what would be my magic number that I would want to sell for? And then ask yourself, do you actually know what your business is even worth right now? And if the answer is no, and it, it probably isn't, no, or you might have a reasonable idea, but if you're, if you're not an expert, then you really need to, to get an expert to look at it for you, is get your business valued now so that you have a reference point as to where you go from here. And for some people, that'll be, oh my goodness, I had no idea it was worth so much. I want to sell it. And for some people, it'll be great. Now I know where I am. And I know the steps that I need to take to get to where I want to be in the next 9, 12, 18 months, whatever it might be. That's, that's what I would say to people is, is get some knowledge and plan. Because without that, you're, you're trekking through the jungle without a map. Yeah. Awesome. yeah, that's good good advice. I mean, obviously, they can reach you at ecombrokers.co.uk. And we want to thank you, Ben, for spending some time with us today and giving us all the great insights and strategies on how to exit the Amazon business in order to get more for what you have built and not just taking the first offer that comes along. So guys, if you like what you heard today, please be sure to hit the subscribe button and share our podcast with friends who might get value out of it as well. Also to get some free training on what it takes to have a successful business to fuel your lifestyle, head to goteamreal.com to download our free training today. And we'll see you next week for the next Sprint to Profit episode. And as always, we wish you the best for you and your business. Bye for now. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you would like to get more information about selling on Amazon, head to goteamreal.com for some absolutely free training.